Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's very good to see all you beautiful people. And for those of you that are joining us online, welcome. It's it's Mother's Day and um, a wonderful day to celebrate. Amen. Those mothers that bring forth the sons of God. Amen. Yeah. So it's a privilege to be here. Um, it's a privilege to be able to to study together with you and um, to bring what the Lord has put on my heart. Today we're going to talk about the oil of joy. And it's something that the Lord prophetically began to speak to me last Saturday morning during the prayer time. And I know that we, we've talked about oil a lot over and over over the last season. We, um, but I believe this is somewhat of a rhema for us for standing through the seasons, through the selahs, through what God has for us, that we would truly um, be anointed with his joy. Okay? Amen? There's a lot of different words in the Bible for joy. And the beautiful thing about it in the Greek is that the word for joy, kara chara, the Greek, which we're not necessarily going to talk about, is the root of grace. And so we, we, we need joy. We need joy to step into that point of overcoming and his grace to move forward. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the saison, which is really from where we get the word season. And it really, to me, in the way that the Lord showed me, is really the joy that, that he anoints us with to be able to stand in the midst of these seasons that, that he brings us through. And so we know from past study, from, um, from what we've been taught about joy, that joy is all, the promise of his joy is always in conjunction with his plan for the earth. It, 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 it attends to every occasion where we embrace his plan and step into partnership with him. Let me tell you what joy is not. Joy is not an emotion. It is not happiness, which is an emotion and really our natural reaction to situations and things that we face. That's happiness. But joy has nothing to do with happiness. <laughs> Um, it's not dependent on our circumstances, and it's it, what it is is it's the ability to be content, believing that God is working all things for the good. Joy is steady and dependable, and it is the maturity that is wrought deep within us from experience, with heartache, with trials, good things, bad things, through every season. And it comes from God. So true joy, is un, it undeniably is linked or depends on our alignment with his plan and us stepping into partnership and his plan. And so as we walk with him and the fulfilling of his plan, as we embrace that purpose, that's where our joy is found because it's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy that comes from his heart. It's the joy of serving and pleasing our Father. That's joy. Jesus said that no man can take it from you. He said that in John 16, 22. And so just in meditating on this, salvation is 
really the root of joy because at the cross and 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 from that point of salvation really our joy is laid out the, his plan our our capacity to to enter into that in fullness really it comes that's the root of it and so it's all about what yields delight in the heart of God and that's that's joy and so it doesn't it's, it has nothing to do with our emotions it has nothing to do with what happens to us in our life even our human desires it's found in him it's found in serving him and pleasing him and this is truly what matters in eternity because we belong to him and and we give our lives to his will and to his plan so entering into the joy of his heart we come to know him into his heart and and really into that place of desired service from which we draw from dwelling in his heart and so that's just a little bit of a foundation for you and I know it's it's a review but sometimes it's good to do that right so we're gonna look at we're gonna look at one particular word but we're gonna begin there's two words in the Hebrew we're going the Hebrew route today and um, there's two words that really for joy that work in conjunction with one another one of them is seem and the other is sasson and I'm gonna start and we're just gonna talk a little bit about uh, Sema for us for a few minutes and then we're gonna launch into our study of Sesson. Is that cool? Is that good? So Sema Sema I'm just gonna give you the definition from from the textbook that we have. It speaks of the registry of joy within our existence. Sema describes the fulfillment of joy or the cele celebratory joy. So as we wait in anticipation for something to occur then when the moment or the event arrives and we see the measure of fulfillment, we are the recipient of the SEMA, okay? So that SEMA dwells within us and really SEMA should, should be the seasoning of everything that we do before the Lord. It's, it's like an attitude of joy, if I may. And an attitude is like a settled way of thinking or feeling about something or something that typically is reflected in your behavior. And so, SEMA as an attitude, it's an attitude of merriness. It, it, merry, merry, merriness. It's like this delightful expectancy and hope of, of that celebration of meeting with God. And, and, and so, as we serve the Lord, as we do his work, and it is work, right? It should always be done with a proactive, me proactive measure of, see of SEMA. Because you know when your attitude's not there, right? I mean, we all have work. We're all in ministry. There's some that's fun. There's some that's not. <laughs> there's some that's easy. There's some that's not. There's some that we love. There's some that we don't. I mean, some of you do not like to stand up here and teach. That's the work of the ministry. And your attitude, your joy, your SEMA, you can tell I mean you can either it's like I remember when I was pregnant when you're pregnant everybody under the Sun wants to give you advice right I mean I remember stopping at a gas station on a road trip and the girl that was ringing me up for my gas was giving me advice about pregnancy and birth and all that but um, 
I remember this, this, this one friend, random friend, she told me, she said, you can approach it one of two ways. You can approach it the easy way, the hard way. She said, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be humiliating in some ways. But you, you can either go in there with a good attitude or a bad attitude. And that's going to make all the difference in the process of your experience, right? And so we think about ministry and we think about, you know, I love to study and that's part of ministry. I mean, you all do too. And it's sometimes the study is not that easy and you have to work at it. You have to, you know, press through. And if ever I feel like my attitude is getting kind of, that's not joy. <laughs> and, you know, it, it really does. It, it's depicted in your behavior. I mean, you can see it. And, and so um, that, that is Sema. Second Samuel 6.12, Sema is recognized when David was bringing the ark into the city of David. It said, and it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertains unto him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with Sema, with gladness. Now we know what had happened in the, before, right? When they studied the ark and psh, well, he, I mean, he knew, I mean, he, he knew joy. He knew that, that resonant joy within him. And so, um, yeah, so um, Sema should form the seasoning of our hearts and minds as we enter into praise to God as well. We're going to talk a little bit about praise before we transition. Our praise should be anchored in the perspective of Sema. And let me just tell you what I'm talking about. Let, let's look at Psalm 100, verse 2. It says, serve Yahweh, gladness, with Sema, and come before his presence with singing. Now, in truth, there's a lot of praise offerings that are lifted up that are based on our own lives. You know, they're based on whether we feel good at the moment. They're based on whether or not we feel like he has blessed us or not. And, and that, that can very easily create a negative environment. Does that please the Lord? Because that's not what praise is about. Praise is about him. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It is celebrating who he is. It is celebrating what he has done. It is celebrating what he intends to do. And it is in that place of celebration in the Sema, doing it with joy, it's welcoming his presence and then entering into partnership for whatever it is that he has intended to do in that moment. It has nothing to do with how we feel or what's happened during the week or none of that. It is an offering to him. That's why it's a sacrifice of praise. Look at Hebrews 13, 15. It says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. If you have a pen, I want you to underline continually. He says that we are to offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is always. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And so why are we talking about this? Because it really links so much with the Sema and that it is an attitude. It is something that we offer to the Lord as a sacrifice. Think about this. Praise doesn't always cost us something. 
when things are going well, we give praise. We offer praise, right? Thank you, Lord. Oh, you're so good. You know, and you just begin to praise. On a more carnal level, we offer praise to people when they do a good job. I mean, to bring it down a little bit lower, I praise my dog when she fetches the ball. <laughs> that doesn't cost me anything, right? And so praise is often a response to some action that directly benefits us. When we feel, and then we feel generous for extending the praise, which is a good thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. It's edifying. But often we praise God in that same motivation. When he's blessed us, when he's helped us, when he's protected us, when he's healed us, when we, you know, we feel really generous towards him and we sing and we lift up our voice and we offer praise because of how good he is and because what we can see and what we have experienced that he has done for us. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But that's not a sacrifice of praise. It costs us nothing. But then there's other times when things aren't going so well. You know, maybe you're in a dry season. Maybe you're in a hard season. Maybe God seems really distant. You feel isolated. You're forgotten. Maybe you've gotten an unexpected diagnosis. Maybe you're struggling financially, emotionally, whatever it might be. And that praise doesn't necessarily bubble up in your heart with joy, right? It's a little bit harder. And we struggle to see his goodness, even though he is always there and he is always good. Our praise at that time requires a sacrifice. And, and it takes an act of our will to lay those things on the altar when we don't understand. And to offer up, to choose to praise him and to believe that he is good and to believe that he is working all things for good. And that comes from that root of joy that's within us. And so the writer of Hebrews said that we're to do that continually, whether things are good or bad, because praise does not depend on our circumstances, right? And I think about um, Paul. It was Paul and Silas. They were in the prison, and and. The Bible says in Acts 16, it said they'd laid many stripes upon them, cast them into prison, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in the stocks. That's a pretty bad place, guys. I mean, I've always thought I could, I could probably handle martyrdom if it's a quick fix, right? But I could not survive prison. <laughs> this is the truth, y'all. <laughs> um. But what did they do? They offered the sacrifice of praise, and what happened? The ground shook, and the prison doors were open, and, 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 and all the good stuff happened. And so that is praise, but that's praise from that deep place of, you know, that seed of joy that's within us. And, and you know, it comes from the core of our being, and it is the manifestation of joy. And, and I may be stretching this. This is just what I feel and what I see. Because, you know, it's just, it's something, and we're going to see this in a little later, it's something that should really bubble up within us. You know, like that river of water that flows through us. And so, when things aren't going so well, we stand in that place of maturity. Knowing that God is worthy and knowing that he's working all things, no matter how they look, for his good and for his good purpose in our lives. And so, that to me, I mean, there's so much power in praise. There's so much power in the sacrifice of praise, and there's so much power because when you're in that place before him and it's all about him and you do welcome him 
and then he draws you in to partner with him to bring change to whatever's happening. That's what happens. It's the manifestation of his sovereign power that, you know, we, we lift up our hands in praise. We welcome him into our realm. He comes, but he doesn't just come to make us feel good or to make us just, he comes to transact business. He's like, I'm here to do it. Let's partner and let's move forward. Let's do this. And it's very much related to, to, um, to joy for me. And so our joy, our praise, it's not, it's not based on whatever is affecting us. And if, if it becomes that, we are never going to thrive in the kingdom or in the things of the Lord. We're going to be in doom and despair. And, um, and so I love it. I love that this is a house of praise, and I love that joy dwells here. And so, yeah, so that, that is Sema, and I just really wanted to, to touch on that because in so many passages, those two, Sema and Sasson, are interrelated. Um, so let's look at Sasson. Sasson is, is, is the, um, it's the, it's the word from which we get the word seasons. And I'm going to give you the definition out of um, the, the Joy of the Lord book. It says, Sesson maintains a watchful eye upon what God has promised and desires to accomplish. So Sesson is like anticipatory joy. It's like standing in that place of the sila. It's like standing in that place of the season, whether it's difficult, you know, maybe the difficult season. And, and, and gleaning the perspective of God's purpose, gleaning his timing, and really being very cognizant of the circumstances for which he has you in and in the progression of the process of it. And I, I'm telling you, I mean, this last season, and I don't even know how to put a beginning and an end to it. You could say COVID from beginning. You know, I, I don't know. I can just tell you that we didn't expect what was coming. I mean, it's like in a moment, our season changed, right? We couldn't meet. You know, and it hit us during a seminar. I mean, it's just so interesting the way that it happens. But God really values this principle of Sasan because it is the joy in the season. It's, it's being anointed with the joy of the season while standing in the gap, standing in the process of the sila. And we need to gain or adopt the frame of mind to do this to represent his throne for where we're going and what we're facing, okay? We've got to have this, and we've got to know how it comes. And so, you know, Pastor said a couple days ago, he just made a comment. He said, what if we had known like two years ago what was coming? What would we have done different? You know, how would our perspective have been different? Because we know that the seasons of the Lord are by his design, right? He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He changes the times and the seasons according to Daniel 2.21. And it also says in the book of Acts that it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Well, what's that about? So why did God not show us what was coming? Well, I believe... If you think about it, if you think about the junctures, you know, maybe the Kairos junctures throughout this last season, he was training us in the Sasan. 
He was training us, and you think about it. Our perspective remained on the throne. Our perspective remained on the purpose of God. It didn't deviate from that. We still had a calling. We still had a function. Yeah, we had to be creative to know how to get it fulfilled because things had changed. But it was like he anointed us with that joy, with that timely perspective and and really the mindset to be able to endure through this strange, strange season and still see the fulfillment of what he intended to do through this last year and a half or two years or however long it's been. Right? Does that make sense? And so what if we had known? Well, he didn't intend for us to know, obviously, because he would have shown us. He wanted us to walk through it and maintain and continue on and, and, and gain the empowerment that he had for us at each step of it and to see the fulfillment in it. And I love that. I mean, I, oh, that we knew everything. I don't want to know everything. And I can tell you that just by virtue of what we're going to talk about next. So... It's about righteous vision. It's about valuing the righteous vision of God. It's about our desire to partner with him in overcoming wickedness, which we are facing, and all the obstacles that we're facing to see the fulfillment of his will come to pass. And it's about really drawing from the sasan, from the joy. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it better when we start looking into the scriptures. You guys with me? So our first, our, our first scripture is, is out of Psalm 45. And this is actually what began this pursuit for me. Because last weekend, um, during our first Saturday prayer, our focus, you know, we're in the fast of feasting. And uh, interestingly enough, our focus for this month was really about... Um, our perspective and how we address and and function through just this atmosphere of evil and wickedness that is just anger and you know those kinds of things that are populating the atmosphere and you know we do that with joy right yeah we do and so you know it was kind of a heady a heady directive and so I just bop in here to come to pray, and I laid myself where the Lord had told me to lay, and it's just, it's just, I mean, I, you know, we talk about the burden of the Lord. I just felt this weightiness and this heaviness just settle upon me in prayer, and that's okay. You know, that's okay, and so I just kept praying in the Spirit, and, um, and then the Lord allowed me to see something that was probably one of the most wicked things I've ever seen. And you know, why? Why does Lord, the Lord allow us to see these things? He, he does it, so that, first of all, to, to prepare us and to make us aware. But I remember Sandra, I remember praying so much with Sandra a long, long time ago, and we'd come out of prayer, and we'd start sharing what we saw, and, you know, Stacy and I would talk, oh, I saw this at the throne, and I saw this golden this, and was frolicking through this and then it would be time for Sandra to share and she would oh you know she had that gift to see into the enemy realm just this prolific profound gift and I remember to think I remember I used to think oh my gosh I'm so glad I didn't get her gift <laughs> 
but I'm joking. Okay, I mean, God gives us what he gives us for us to utilize it and to function perfectly in it. And so I'm so thankful for the gifts that he's given to her. But, you know, we're dealing with darkness and light. We're dealing with Tov and Ra, with wickedness. And, and so, um, so anyway, so the Lord just allowed me to see something that was really wicked. And, and I literally, and I, I shared this on the first Saturday report. I mean, I literally the whole time and through the whole weekend, I just felt like I was standing in this place in between darkness and light. You know, I was like standing in the gap between darkness and light. And, and, and that's where the Lord had me. And it was uncomfortable. And I was a little bit overwhelmed. Um, but at the same time, fully engulfed in his presence. That's the wonderful thing about God, right? And so I began, I started praying about it because it kind of lingered for a couple days. And um, the Lord led me to this Psalm, Psalm 45. And I realized this is such, this is one of the most powerful Psalms to me. Because unless you're really looking, you don't really see what's there. But in, in it's, it's, it, it's a song of loves, L-O-V-E-S. So it's a song that has a foundation of, of relationship and love that God has with his bride, the partnership that he has with the church. But if you look at, at the verses that we have here, it describes the Lord that we serve, the God that we serve. And so I'm going to read it, beginning with verse 3. It says, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with, the, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. That is his agenda. Truth, meekness, and righteousness. That is our agenda. Truth, meekness, and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. And I don't know what that word for terrible is. I didn't look it up, but I'm sure it's profound. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, O Elohim, is forever and ever, and the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hates wickedness. Therefore, Elohim thy Elohim has anointed thee with the oil of gladness, the Sasan, above all thy fellows. And then the rest of the psalm goes on and talks about the bride of Christ and his relationship and his love for her and really her call to partner with him in the midst of, of really this battle for righteousness. And I realize that, you know, this is where we are. We are in this battle to establish righteousness on the earth with him, right? Truth is our guiding force. Truth is our agenda. That, that is the agenda. That is what the enemy despises and is coming against in such a prolific way. And yet we look at the description of God, the one that we walk alongside, serve alongside, partner with, and you see that the power in it. But the beautiful thing to me is the references to Elohim because it's all founded in love, in relationship, in his heart. Because love, there is no greater power than love. There is no greater power than the love of God. None. And so, 
you know, I, 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 I hearkened back to that time of prayer and just the vivid nature of where God has positioned us. And, and, and he reminded me that as, you know, from this psalm, as he stands for truth, and I will say, as he stands for truth, as you stand for truth, as I stand for truth, and for righteousness in the face of wickedness, he, is, he you and me, as well, are anointed for the battle. We are anointed with the joy of anticipation, with the joy to stand in the gap, with the joy to accomplish his divine will, and we are endued with joy which is the Sasan that anticipates fully the fulfillment of a victorious outcome. So we have nothing to fear. You know, some people think the anointing oil is like this magic. But, but let's talk about what it is for us and for him. And we're talking about Christ here, right? It's this prophetic type of, of really necessary service that we offer to God. Because we know that the crushing, that the way you get the anointing is by crushing the vital essence of the source. So that anointing, as you partner with him, as you give him everything you are, as you give him your life, as you offer yourself for that, that place of crushing, that's what produces the oil, right? So when someone's anointed with oil, they're submitting themselves their entire life everything that they are, all their energies to the work of Yahweh. That's what they're doing. And from that comes the anointing, just like from Christ. And that's really the only way that God can anoint us with the Sasan, is when we give everything to him. And, 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 and I'm telling you, this is a serious calling. And I, and I feel like you know, one thing that I've, I've really gleaned in this season is that we're coming face to face with reality, with our real reality, true reality. And, and we need to understand really the depth and the severity of our commitment to this calling because, you know, the fields of righteousness, I mean, that is the battle. And yet we know that in the midst of every season, if we give our all to that pressing, we will receive that anointing of joy, that sasan, which gives us really the perspective of promise of his plan and what he desires to accomplish. And we go forth in anticipation, expecting that God will do everything that he said he's going to do. Is that clear? Okay. You know, I just so, I just so strongly sense like, it's like the lines of demarcation between heaven and earth are so much thinning. And, and while wickedness and evil has become so vivid, and, you know, we see it, we hear it, it's all around us. Um, and so that intensity of darkness and evil is very profound. But all the while, I just sense the realms of heaven just manifesting. And the presence of the Lord is so profound that it, it trumps everything. So I say that to say, be in prayer, be in that place, be abiding in that place, because we can overcome anything from that place of commune and relationship. From there comes our warfare.
And so it's good. It's good. Anybody have a comment? Okay. Okay. So we're, you know, we're going to encounter obstacles. We're going to see evil. We're going to, you know, we are. And we're going to talk about one of those obstacles next. Um, and that is mourning. Yay. <laughs> and we're going to look at Isaiah 61. The Bible speaks of mourning. It, ex- it speaks of just the natural sorrows that we will experience, just standing in the twisting of the histeme and the evil realms that we dwell in, just being on the front lines. I mean, we're going to experience these kinds of influences. You know, there's ungodly mourning and there's godly mourning. I never did really understand, you know, the, the people that were hired to come and mourn. How do you do that? Like, how do you make yourself mourn? How, how do you do that? Um, anyway. But, so let's look at Isaiah 61. And I, did I give you verses 1 and 2 on your, okay, I'm going to read that and then we're going to launch into verse 3. And this is the, 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 really the, the anointing of, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. And then verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he might be glorified. So we know that part of his anointing, which flows down into us as we give our lives for that crushing, was to appoint them that mourn, to turn the ashes from our sacrifice into a thing of beauty and function to give the oil of joy for mourning and that garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that we might be trees of um, establish his trees of right, righteousness in the work of his hands and so let's talk about mourning and I, I will have to say that in this last season I have mourned <laughs> have you mourned I have mourned I mourned through the election. When it was finished, I mourned because I felt like something died. The momentum that we had died. And, it, it, you know, it's been something that I've had to, I, and a lot of us, I mean, my brother was in town for one day yesterday, and they're very much involved in politics. And, I mean, he told me, him and his wife, I mean, they've had such a difficult time rising above the atmosphere of, he didn't say mourning, but what he would describe is mourning deep inside, right? And, and so the oil for mourning is such a powerful thing because, you know, while it, it sometimes mourning feels like, you know, there's godly mourning and it's necessary, maybe if you experience the death of a loved one, and I get that, I've been there, but there's also mourning that goes over the top. It becomes an atmosphere within you that is very negative and destructive, right? Because we have joy. I mean, he wants us to walk in joy no matter what. And so that oil of of mourning, you know, we never, we can never overlook the strategy 
of the opposition that we face, and it comes in so many different ways, and mourning is one way. Or ungodly sorrow is one way. And that is one of the strategies that the enemy has tried to waylay us through this whole season, through this political season, through really what we've been facing. It's for us to just dwell in that sorrow and that mourning when God is saying, no, I'm anointing you with the oil of sasson, the oil of joy, to rise up and overcome and walk in the power of it. Because what I have said will be, will be. And you are with me in it, right? So we're not going to be fruitful or productive if we're, you know, we're laying back and we're just in bed morning, right? You with me? <laughs> so we have to know that there is a special dispensation of anointing that comes upon us, for us, for these very things. And we need to receive it. We need to press into it and receive that point of joy right now because the enemy wants us there he wants us he he wants us absent of joy and that empowerment and that point you know just that perception that that perception that is so expectant and anticipates the righteousness of the lord rising up like what we know will be thank you friend but it takes pressing. And it takes us applying it. Bless you. And so, Sasan, it really is the enablement for the rigors of standing in the gap in the seasons of God's choosing that we were walking on. Now, it talks here morning in Zion, and I want to talk a little bit about Zion because Zion is such a reality for us. And we need to always consider Zion as that it relates to God's overall plan and to... Um, because we know in the book of Hebrews that we're called to the heavenly Zion, right? To Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We know that our place is in heaven. We pray from heaven. Our, you know, we pray from that place. We're positioned in, high, in, in Zion. And so we also know the definition of Zion is that dry, dry twisted place. It is defined as a barren place, a solitary place in the wilderness. And so... God, we see in Isaiah 51, verse 11, it says, Therefore the redeemed of Yahweh shall return and come with singing unto Zion with everlasting Sema shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain Sasson and joy, Sema, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. That's our promise. But what does that have to do with Zion? Well, we know that positioned in heaven, heavenly Zion, that nothing is twisted or dry in heaven, right? But there's connective points between heaven and earth that are designed by God that are awaiting the fullness, the full measure of the visitation of the glory of the Lord to step into the full measure of function. That's our calling, to go and to restore and to stand in that place like pillars to draw from heaven to be sent forth into those solitary, those hiding places in the world. Remember we talked about the word in the wilderness, the midbar in the wilderness, those, those places where perhaps it had been um, corrupted or not fulfilled? That's, I mean, that's, that, that is our work from Zion. And that is our calling as we walk the face of the earth. And so for each one of these locations that God might send us to or might have us address in our intercession, from that place in heaven... He promises to visit and to establish his fruitfulness and his prosperity in those places. That's restoration. 
And so it's for this that we wait. It's for this that we apply and we pray and we stand and we, we obey and we be as that one that's crying out in the wilderness, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I, I included Romans 8, 19 through 21, because I just want to read it. This is, this is happening. It says, for the earnest expectation, that's intense anticipation and expectation. Does that sound like Sasan? Of, of the creature waits, expects fully. That is Sasan. For the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they, but also ourselves, which have the fruitfulness of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That to me, this is such a reality for us. We are here. We are waiting. We're not just here waiting for the rapture. We're not just here waiting for the end. We're here to partner with the Lord in that. Through the anointing of the Sasan, to stand there through every season, the easy seasons, the hard seasons, and have his perspective. It's expectancy and anticipation for what he is going to do, which is right here. That's your spirit man. That's what your spirit man is crying out for, or should be anyway. And it feels like mourning because you're part of creation. We don't worship <laughs> the creation. We worship the creator. But it does. I mean, it, for me, it's like I have, to, I have to discern what's going on in me. Is this ungodly mourning that I'm feeling, that I'm just getting this malaise? Or is this literally the moaning of my spirit crying out for the manifestation of what he intends to do? That's intercession. And as we do this, as we're faithful, he will anoint us with this oil of gladness. His perfect timing, his strength. Amen? Amen. There's going to be opposition. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see the manifestation both in the spirit and in the natural. That's just part of the plan. But we have to remain before him. We have to remain in that place of pressing in order to obtain that oil, that joy, that empowerment, that perspective of his season, and that attitude of delighting in his plan. And I'm telling you, it infuriates the enemy because it's an empowerment for us and it infuriates him because he doesn't want us to have the perspective of the seasons. He doesn't want us to have um, the attitude of joy and gladness. He wants us to have bad attitudes. Let's look at Psalm 51. And this is David and you know, I don't know. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, at the time when men went out to war, David stayed behind. And, and you know, I don't have the inside word on that, but did he miss it? Was he supposed to be out for war? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Pastor knows. 
And subsequently ended up in sin. And utilize then capacities for seeing, attacking, acquiring that were really the warfare No, I mean because of that he ended up sinning and it, it, it was grievous. And this psalm came out of that and let's read what it says. It says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to Shema Sasan and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken, which means to, be, to make contrite, may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the sasan of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will then will I teach the transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And so this situation where in this season he missed it. He fell into a place of sin, and from that came this cry of his heart that said, Lord, help me to hear and obey your sasan. Help me to have the perspective of, of, of expectancy in the midst of the season so that I am obedient to what you've called me to be and to do. That needs to be a prayer that we have. Lord, help me to hear and to obey your sasan and then restore it. He's asking for, for restoration of that joy of, of thy salvation. So I, just, I think that's powerful. And then a couple more we're going to look at. Um, psalm 119. Well, that's a long psalm. <laughs> I, I, I was looking at my outline and I was... No, and I, I thought it said Psalm 119.11, right? Because that would be more normal. So I pulled it up on my iPad. I was laying in bed. And I thought, this isn't the right psalm. This isn't the right verse. What's happening? And then I realized it's a 111. But it says, thy testimonies, and thy testimonies translates as his law, his word, and both the old and new covenant. So thy to his testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. For they, his word, his law, is the, is the sasan of my heart. I have inclined my, my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. That's powerful. And then let's look at Jeremiah 15, verses 15 through 17. O Yahweh, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away of thy long suffering. Know what for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. And he did suffer some major rebuke. Thy words were found. I did eat them. And your word was unto me the Sasan, and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Yahweh Elohim of hosts. I sat not in the assemblies of the mockers, nor re rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. So 
you know, this is the prophetic word or this word, this is the debar, but it's the word from God, what God has said and the detailing of his pathway in its fulfillment for Jeremiah, that was the Sasan for him. And then we have our fast feasting, which I did not plan on, but it, it happens to fit right in. Um, you know, we know the fast of feasting. It, you know, God commanded the people to engage in this fast to align with the heavenly mindset concerning their mission, concerning his tobe, his purposes, those of Yahweh, and to carry forth the truth of his plan to a successful conclusion. Is that not our mission? And that is our mission, and that is the fast of feasting. We're in the midst of that right now. And so rather than submitting to that downcast, negative attitude, negative mindset, we're to fast those things. We're to release the woundings, the difficulties, the memories of the past to, in order to go forward before the Lord. And the feast of fasting is saturated with expectancy, the expectancy of Sesson. And so, Zechariah 8, 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be the house of Judah, Sasson, and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and peace. And so, I just speak that over you in this month, and from here on out, that that would be upon you, that you would carry forth that mindset that heavenly mindset and that joy would just inhabit your being. And then to end, I want to end with Isaiah 12. I gave you an extra teaching on the back page because the, the, this word, I'm not even going to attempt to say it because I'll butcher it, but um, it's the New Testament word for sesson. And it's fascinating if you look at those four passages because it's only used like four or five times. It, I mean, you just look. The birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus with Mary. Um, it, it's fascinating to consider it that way, Con to consider it what it means. Okay, so Isaiah 12, verses 1 through 3. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. O Lord. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and be not afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is my salvation. And then I just love this. Therefore, with Sasson shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. I just, I, I just, that is to me, that is just so powerful. You know, We've talked about wells, and, and, and we draw wells out of the water. I'm sorry, we draw water out of the wells. <laughs> Thank you. Of his provision and supply. We do that. We do that in the spirit. We've done activations for that. And wells were dug when people laid claim to territory, right? And so it was really the first sign of vitality and substance, and it was crucial for their survival that they would draw a well, that they would dig a well, and that they would draw 
the water out of the whale. And so it really was the first claim, the first measure of claim and function in that stronghold of God that he'd taken them to. And it was joy. It was sasan that was used to, it's like, it was like the ladle that draws out that provision and supply. And just as a personal testimony, I told you about last Saturday and I told you about how the Lord had given me that vision and it was, it, it startled me so much and it, I felt like my spirit was just tainted. I mean, it was just, ugh. And so I left, I, I got up and I left, which is always the mature thing to do. <laughs> no, but I stayed in prayer and I just, I just felt like I had to transition. I mean, it shook me. And so I, I, I left the sanctuary and I stayed in the church and, and I, maybe about 10 or 15 minutes later, I was just praying. I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? And all of a sudden, water started coming out of my eyes from deep, deep inside of me. I mean, it was just like, I just felt like something just like bubble up inside me. I can't even describe it. Like, I don't even know if I've ever felt it before. And it just started bubbling up inside of me and it just started flowing out of my eyes like I was weeping or crying, but not a sad weeping. It was just almost like a rejoicing weeping in the midst of this kind of a dark moment. And I believe that was the song. I believe that was the well inside of me, like that rivers of living water flowing out of me. And it was almost like a cleansing thing for me, but it like reset me. And, and I'm so thankful for that because his joy is in us. He's anointed us with his joy. And we need to, if anything, offer ourselves into that place of pressing and, and just, I don't want to, you know, I'm, spe I'm preaching to the choir, but I know for me, recommit my life, the fullness of who I am, no matter what things look like, no matter how hard it is, no matter how dark things get, that, that just makes me ever more passionate to press in and to say, Lord, Use me any way you want and, and let that oil just flow out of me and, and really tap the wells. So that's, that's, that's joy for today. Does anybody have anything to comment? Yes, brother. teaching is, is, I mean, it's, it's definitely according to the timing of the Lord because, um, you know, our, our, it's just our, there's so much going on in our, 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 our nation, our world, you know, with, with just all the fear and, and the uncertainty. And, you know, there's always fear and uncertainty, but what, what we do, how we carry ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, you know, do we have that? Again, it's not happiness, it's, it's, a, it's a choice. You know, I, I can choose that joy of the Lord and let that be my strength. It's really powerful. So thank you for listening to the Lord and being obedient to bring that teaching at this time.
what Mother's Day is. I agree with what Les said. That it, 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 it's a, a really timely teaching. Um, you mentioned earlier about the fast of feasting, and at the end about the fast of feasting. And um, when this month began, you know, um, the Lord has just had me really cognizant of the fast of feasting that we're in. And there's been a song that's been in my heart. Um, and one of the phrases is his praise shall always be on my lips and um, and I've just been really cognizant of, of, of the fast of feasting and rejoicing and praising and um, you mentioned earlier in the lesson about um, righteousness is being um, attacked and, and, and it's, it's a battle against our righteousness and this week I was totally blindsided by the enemy, and um, and I don't think I've ever felt it the way I had this past week. Um, I literally felt my breastplate like it was like it had just been hit, and um, but that song kept going through my mind: "My praise shall ever be on my lips; His praise will ever be on my lips." And so I just kept praising the Lord through it. And um, and the Lord, you know, he was gracious and, and helped me to overcome that. But it really, it really knocked me for a loop. And, um, but I, I'm just grateful for this lesson today because it, like I said, it is a, it's a timely lesson and for all of us. And, um, and I knew it was, you know, something, it wasn't something against me, it was against what we stand for. And, um, but it just really caught me off guard. And um, so I, I appreciate your obedience to hear the Lord and, and to bring this message. You know, when I was, I was, I was studying, you know, you kind of go on rabbit trails, or I do, maybe you don't. <laughs> But I started looking at the sacrifice of praise in the midst of my study, and literally, I'm like, it's you know, I may be looking at it for an hour. I was sitting upstairs at my desk, and I got a text from another one of our precious saints here in this house, just telling me about how her very identity had just been just absolutely assaulted, and I mean, I could feel where she was, like I can feel Nancy. I can feel your heart and just because we're one body, you know, and and I, I texted her back and I said, it's amazing to me because right now I'm like so focused on giving that sacrifice of praise because that that's where in our authority lies and in our worship, in our praise is when we truly bring that sacrifice. We lay it on the altar and let God have have it and consume it with his fire, that's when the change comes. That's when, yeah. And so, you know, there's been, there's been so many things that our saints, family, have had to endure, whether it be an assault of your character or, you know, your, you said your righteousness had just been assaulted. The enemy is trying everything he can to bring us down. But 
we, it, you know, we've, we originally talked about joy is that, that maturity that's deep within us that knows that what God, that God is going to work everything according to his plan and good for us. And so it's just knowing that. And, and it, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a full grasp of it. I mean, I told Les, I said, this has like really been one of the hardest studies. But it's, it's simple, but it's still, it was just, I had to really press through. And um, so, I bless you. Okay, well, unless we have, I'm going to back to Dennis.